Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And today is hump day. It is Wednesday, which means we are getting you ready for your mailbag. And you submitted questions. We've got answers. Spring football starts this week. So we're going to dive in knee deep on a lot of the football discussion that's going to be coming up on the site and on the podcast over the next couple of weeks. Spring ball starts April 1st, spring game May 1st. Uh, And we'll also discuss some basketball recruiting that's going to trickle in now in the next couple of weeks into months as both Kelly Graves and Dana Altman begin to kind of retool and rebuild their programs for the men's and women's basketball programs but first Eric let's let's get to some spring football because I think that's kind of like where the excitement is now shifting to from the fan base as it should be right like I'm, I'm pretty jacked up for the start of spring you know full disclosure Matt and I had been kind of waiting to know when this was going to start and spring in the last couple of years under Mario Cristobal would have you typically started like the first week of, of March somewhere around there and this year the first week of March passed basically the entire month of March passed before we had a clear understanding of what spring football would look like. And it's, it is, it's a different format. I think we should just start here by outlining the format for those listening and maybe don't understand. Um, in past years, they've done basically, yeah, it early starts early March, five practices, then a couple week break um, for spring break to let the kids go home and, and do all those things. And, um, and then they make everybody kind of re uh, you know, resurfaces back in Eugene end of April, sorry, end of March, they do the last nine or so practices of spring, basically culminating with a mid-April spring game. So they kind of split yeah. it into two sections. And that that's allowed for players in time in some instances to enroll for the second portion of spring ball and show up for the last nine or ten or so practices. I think that's what Anthony Brown um, was maybe intending to do last year. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but there's been certainly some players who've done that um, the last couple of cycles. This year, it's all right on through, and they're running from April 1st through the April, through the month of April um, with the spring game on May 1st. So uh, it's a little different. It'll be very much a consistent uh, process. The week Every week is going to be a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday spring practice. So if you are wanting to look for updates on the site, we will have those there. I don't expect, and in fact, I would be really surprised if we're able to actually watch any of these practices. Yeah. Which will, which is a real bummer. Uh, it's one of my favorite parts of the job is just going and taking my notepad and writing all the ins and out, especially early on in spring where we are, you know, seeing all these new players and saying, Oh, this guy lines up here or there. I, I don't think we're going to have that opportunity this year, just like we didn't have it last fall um, due to the, due to the coronavirus. And it'd be interesting to see if maybe in the fall with, We'll get to some of the reason for optimisms with the coronavirus in a minute when we talk about the spring game. But I, I just uh, I'm skeptical of of when we'll be able to watch that. But that's not going to mean our coverage is going to be nothing. We'll be speaking with players and coaches all week, getting some inside information from others to, to provide the best content. But just wanted to let folks know kind of what the expectation for the month of April is. So we're going to have full coverage on DeckTurter.com for the entire month of April. Every you know there'll be basically spring practice every other day throughout it, um, which I think is going to be really fun to kind of track and see how things go. And we'll, we'll obviously get uh, full video, full stories up on the site. So with that in mind, let's start with the first question from at Vontae 0602. 
What are the three things you'll be watching for when spring practice starts on Thursday? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Well, this is a pretty, I, I mean, this almost feels too perfect here because I just, just on uh, Monday, I put together a five spring storylines that I will be keeping an eye on in April. So I'm not going to run through all five because I wasn't asked to. I was asked to run through three. Um, <laughs> so I will, I will run through three of them and let those uh, listening go check out the rest of my storylines on the site. And then I will toss it over to Matt for a couple of his. Um, I think the first one, which is really obvious, is the quarterback position. Um, what is going on there? That was a spot that I think about oh, eight or nine months ago, we thought that's Tyler Shuck's job. It'll be his job in 2021, maybe in 2022. That's that. And Tyler Shuck's no longer on the football team. So we have to figure out kind of what the future of that position is. Yeah, right. It's Anthony Brown, who's a sixth-year senior, and then three guys who've never played at this level. So um, all those players are on campus. There'll be four uh, scholarship quarterbacks. Um, also, Bradley Yaffe is a walk-on probably won't factor into things but it's a name that you'll maybe see tossed around a little bit in the discussion this spring i'm sure mario cristobal and and company will make sure to at least acknowledge him but you know that's kind of the way it is right now you've got the the veteran and anthony brown who we saw play the last couple games of last season and then three young guys who we haven't seen at all so what happens there i think brown probably gets the first step you know snaps of spring after that we'll see i think he's going to be the first team guy to at least start it, um, but will one of these freshmen be able to displace him? I think that's going to be interesting to follow. Um, secondly, Oregon has a little over a dozen of their 2021 football signees on campus for spring. How do those guys? Where do those guys contribute? How, how does you know who's kind of the immediate impact players from this group? Um, it's not just any 13 players; these are all four-star recruits. These are you know basically Oregon went out and signed you know a dozen and a half four stars. They're almost all going to be on campus to start spring, right. including guys like Kingsley Sumatia, Ty Thompson, Franklin, Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, and Keith Brown. So a lot of names to know um, this spring, and it's going to be interesting to see kind of who turns eyes early. And I think that's one of the things that has always kind of fascinated me and why I enjoy watching these spring practices because, you know, basically six months before the season start, we get to check out and say, oh, this Kayvon Thibodeau guy, he might live up to the billing. Or, yeah, oh, he might be pretty good. <laughs> might be pretty good. Mikhail Wright, he's pretty good. Um, and so I am kind of bummed that we don't get to watch these guys in practice, but I'm sure we're going to hear a lot from coaches and players about who stands out. And that's certainly going to be questions that we're asking of coaches and players throughout camp is which one of these guys is turning heads, which guys have a legitimate chance to maybe fight for, for positions on the team, whether it be a starting job or a backup position. Those are the kind of, I think, another element here. And then Thirdly, um, I, I think is just the new defensive hires for me. Um, Tim DeRuiter's the new defensive coordinator. He comes over from Cal. Marcel Yates was also coaching with DeRuiter at Cal last year. Moves over um, to replace Keith Hayward, who left for Cal. So a lot of Cal, <laughs> a lot of Oregon and Cal there. But um, it's just going to be interesting to see what this defense looks like. Kind of early returns on how it comes together in terms of implementing it. Some what kind of alterations there might be how some of the personnel stuff shakes out a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau. Could he move around a little bit? Um, What will some of the responsibilities change at some of these spots? And if that's the case, could we see some starters challenge that we wouldn't have expected? Um, Those are the kind of things that I'll be curious to see with Tim DeRuiter um, going into the 2021 football season, but starting um, this week with spring practice. So those are three things that I kind of have my eye on. And just to recap quarterback, the newcomers, and the new defensive coordinator slash defensive hires when you include Marcel Yates. 
Matt, I know I said three there and I know <laughs> you've probably seen my story. So, you know, my other two, so maybe don't give those away, but do you have anything that I didn't mention? That well, you're like I do, I, I do want to talk about quarterback real quick. Sure. Um, I mean, obviously I think this is the position that everyone's going to gravitate towards when they first look at the depth chart, when they first look at, Oh, we're going to talk spring football. We're going to talk duck football. Okay. Who's quarterback? Because whenever you have an opening, that's just where everyone's eye goes first. Yep. Um, and I, I, I think obviously, like you said, Anthony Brown's probably the, the front runner and there's a lot of excitement about Ty Thompson, but I, I'm super intrigued to know more about Jay Butterfield and what kind of participation will Oregon get from Robbie Ashford because a good Ashford question. right now is currently playing with the baseball team and yep. isn't just sitting on the bench and hanging out, you know, get as he gets to, you know, as a recruiting employee, you know, Hey, you can come play baseball, but you're probably not good enough. No, he's good enough. Like he's, he's a regular contributor for the baseball team. Um, what kind of production participation do they get with Robbie Ashford or is his development at that quarterback? And then from a Jay Butterfield standpoint, I mean, this time last year before Ty Thompson had committed to Oregon, Jay Butterfield was viewed as the heir apparent to Tyler Shuck uh, was going to be from a fan base perspective was the next guy at quarterback. And then, you know, I, I, I think recency bias always plays a factor in here. Everyone saw Ty Thompson and, and look, the hype there is legit. Like this is a, a, super, a potential superstar recruit. Uh, big time player, uh, but also Jay is also kind of falling through the cracks, and I, I, I don't think he gets enough attention that he warrants. I mean, he he was the second best quarterback to DJU on the West Coast two years ago, and was falling all over themselves to get one. And so, where is Jay Butterfield uh, in this mix? Where is his kind of development gone? That's going to be for me. Like I'm super excited to see Brown and see if he can win the job, keep the job. Super excited to see if Ty Thompson is as good as we all think he is. But I'm also anxious to see what Jay Butterfield can do for Oregon this spring and how big of a factor is he going to be in the quarterback race? Uh, or is it a two-man race and is it Anthony Brown and Jay Butterfield? Uh, is it Anthony Brown and Ty Thompson? Like we, we know it's Anthony Brown and we just don't know if it's multiple ands or if it's one of Butterfield Ashford or, or Thompson. Um, yeah. I also look at the offensive line and, and look at like, this is a unit that's got a lot of guys back, you know, all five starters are back. Their top returner off the bench, Stephen Jones is back. So you, you feel confident that there's a, you know, continuity there um you had some good production there uh but i also am kind of like okay well we didn't see jonah tuanu at all in 2020 what's his status with the team how big of an impact and how quickly of an impact can a guy like kingsley Salamatia make um jackson light uh does he kind of push his way up further up the depth chart where are these younger guys what are they going to do where do they fit within this offensive line and the position group that everyone's back. Um, I, I also think team who 
cold or not, this spring and the early part of fall camp will decide if they're going to be players at Oregon or if their careers will be known as guys that can't get on the field. And they'll either have to accept that at Oregon or if there'll be guys that will potentially transfer out looking for playing time. Um, I, I think there's a couple guys that this is like a make or break type year. Um, Cam McCormick, I, I think this is a make or break camp for him. Um, not because he can't produce, but just because he can't play. Like he's been hurt. He, he's, he's missed last three seasons because of injuries. And this feels like, Hey, one, if you can't get healthy for this upcoming year, it's probably not going to ever happen. And two, if you are healthy and you can't secure yourself a job, you might get passed up, as cold as that sounds, by some younger tight ends that are coming up through the ranks in Spencer Webb, Patrick Herbert, Terrence Ferguson, and they've got more tight ends coming in in the summer. So like for Cam, it really feels like, hey, this there's a window. It's open. There's a spot for you to go out and to become – you know, a, a, a starting tight end. But if you don't take this chance, you might not get another one because of the guys that are coming up behind you. And I, I feel the very same way about, and this isn't because of lack of production. This isn't because of lack of talent. Uh, Popo Amave is a dude. Um, I, I think the second half of the 2019 Rose Bowl season, he was Oregon's best nose tackle. Um, ahead of Jordan Scott. But I think he is in an, an unfortunate position as an upperclassman where it's like, hey, you're probably going to be the guy that starts at nose tackle. We think it's going to be you. Uh, but if you slip up once, you might not get another chance to be the number, you know, number one defensive tackle because there's a bunch of other guys waiting in the wings that are younger than you and just as talented as you. So like, that's like a, from a coaching perspective, that's perfect scenario. You've got an upperclassman who's, who's produced, he's ready for the limelight, but if he slips up once and has, you know, five or six bad practices in a row and, and, you know, he's going to be pushed by younger guys and there's going to be someone that will elevate themselves uh, to, to having to play more. Like I look at Brandon Dorless. And I, I look at Christian Williams and to an extent, I look at Keon Ware Hudson and say, those three guys showed in 2020, especially Dorless and especially Christian Williams, they have to play. Yep. They, they have to play. And if Popo, I, I think Popo Omave is a dude. I, I, I am one of his biggest fans out there from guys on this roster. He's played in 25 games in his three years for the Ducks. Um, very productive player, but if he slips up just a little bit, this might be a case where it's, Hey, we're so loaded at this position. You only get one crack at winning this job. And if you don't take it, you're not going to get it the rest of your career here at Oregon. So I think that's another, like, those are two other positions where I'm just kind of really fascinated to see this competition play out, see who kind of emerges. Um, and then for me, you talked about Tim DeRuiter and, the impact he's going to have on the defensive side of the football. I think an off season will be huge for Mace Funa, um, Noah Sewell, Kayvon Thibodeau, Adrian Jackson. I think there's going to be a lot of guys on defense that from a physical body standpoint, a true off season will be beneficial for them. But I'm also looking on the offensive side of the ball of what kind of growth do we see in year two of the Joe Moorhead offense? Like I was pretty impressed with what we got from, 
uh, Joe Moorhead and the Oregon offense during the 2020 season. And say what you will about Tyler Shuck and the inability is to consistently play at that quarterback spot. I, I still w- walked away in 2020 thinking, you know what? Like that's a, that was a really good offense. There was a lot of, you know, scheming that was really impressive. Uh, the coaching was really good. The potential is there. What steps do they take in year two? I know I've only been asked to do three, but I'm just going to throw a fourth out here. And this one's actually not on my storylines, but you were running through some of the position battles. Um, I, I think who starts at the place, I guess who starts at corner opposite of Mikhail Wright? Yeah. Who, who replaces Diamond Lenore? Um, that's huge. I mean, that's, that's, that, that position is, I mean, that's a position that you need to have quality play from. And Oregon's been really fortunate. You think about who they've had at, at corner. Well, especially the last three to four years with Thomas Graham and Diamond Lenore and now Mikhail Wright and just the talent those guys have. And, and of course, before that, there's been a bunch you want to go back to the early te- 2010s, mid-2010s. Oregon's always had some very high-end corners. I think that's a position group that, like, you know you have a ton of talent at, but legit, who's your second guy? I have no idea. I mean, I think DJ James is pretty good. I, I like what we've seen from him. But he's the only one that's really played at all on the entire roster, yep. aside from Mikhail Wright. Um, I mean, the other guys you have contending, your two other veterans are Triquist Bridges and Brian Addison, basically. Um and those two guys are converted from other positions. And I don't know how much you expect from those guys. I mean, the good, and here's the good news. The good news is you have big-time, elite-level cornerback recruit talent in Dante Manning, who's the only five-star defensive back Oregon's ever signed, and then in Avante Dickerson and Jalen Davies, who are two um, top 150-rated corners in this most recent class. Dickerson won't be here for spring, but, but Davies will be. So – how do those guys compete? What does right. fall out there? What's the two deep from that group? I, you know, and I should say, I just posted on Tuesday morning my uh, predicted prediction for the two deep, and you can go check that out. And there's a lot, a lot of I put a lot of thought into kind of some of these position groups, but like corner to me, and obviously quarterback and tight end, and, and I think the offensive line on offense, those are like pretty obvious ones. And then on defense, Matt ran through the defensive line, and maybe some of the stuff that happens at linebacker. And I think linebacker is actually probably one of the more along with maybe receiver and running back, like pretty predictable on how it should play out. Cause all their starters are back. But I look at corner and go like, I feel good about one player and I feel decent about another, but you need three to four to five guys. And right. it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. And I, and I, frankly, I wouldn't be surprised in the least to see one of these true freshmen along with Dante Manning really pushing I guess only, the only one that's available this year right, right now would be Jalen Davies. But like, I wouldn't be surprised to see Davies and Manning really turning some heads early um, and giving themselves a chance to push DJ James to start um, or at the very least to, to get big minutes because I, I think that position is really important. And you don't want to go into a season really going like, well, we've got one really good guy and we don't know anything about anybody else because um, that's just a recipe for disaster, especially in the Pac-12 with some of the passing offenses that Oregon will face. So um, I think that's another one from a position perspective, just to kind of keep an eye on. And I'm sure we'll, we'll get a lot of kind of perspective on that throughout spring camp. Who, who becomes like, I think another question mm-hmm. and we're really diving in on this one. Um, well, he asked, he asked for three and we're going to give him 13. So <laughs> we're overachievers. Uh, who, who becomes that young player that kind of just everyone obsesses over? Like, it's going to be a little impacted a bit because we can't go into into practice right now. Um, 
And so we're only going to be able to, to decipher this based off of, you know, media interviews and what we, who we talk to off record and stuff, but sure. every fall camp and every spring camp, there's always like one young guy that he's either a newcomer uh, or like a redshirt freshman, or maybe like at that true sophomore, somebody, you know, two or three years, you know, two years into the program for the most part, or a new guy. And he just, for whatever reason, everyone kind of just gravitates, whether it's the players, whether it's the coaches, whether it's the media, they all kind of obsess over this guy's really standing out. This guy's really standing out. Like, I think that will probably be Ty Thompson kind of because of all the attention slapped on him. But who is there going to be another guy that kind of just gravitates all the attention towards him? I feel like the logical one is Justin Flo, probably. Right. In terms yeah. of like, this is a big time recruit who we really just haven't seen. And he, he, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, I don't think he was on campus for spring, was he? He wasn't. I don't think so. No, 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 Sue was here. And that, that, that's who I was thinking of earlier when I said Anthony Brown. Justin Flo was the player last year who was supposed to show up for the second half of spring, but didn't because it was canceled. Um, so, like, we didn't get a spring with him. You had last fall, he gets hurt right as the season starts. And this is a player who has a ton of like a ton of excitement. I, I, you know, you speak with like speaking with some of my, my buddies that are big Oregon fans. Like he's one of the people that they always, they all, they want to ask about. Right. I mean, you, you probably know this as well, Matt, with just having friends who are fans of the program. Like there are certain players that have that sort of, um, I, I guess that, 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 I don't know, like that, that sort of aura around them. And maybe that's kind of a strange way to say it, but like, that, that fans are just really excited about. And Justin Flo is one of those guys. I know that photo of him flexing last full camp, like yeah. with, with his abs exposed and his biceps. And every, I just, they, I, that circulated through a lot of friend groups, I think, of people being like, my gosh, this guy is put together. He is jacked. He's going to be a superstar. And then he doesn't play at all. So, like, I feel like he's the name that people are, one of the names people expect going in, probably along with Dante Manning, because they're both five stars that we didn't see last year. But, like, I also, like, there's, there's, you know, you're right. And there's in that there's also always typically like a guy or two who just like don't come in with that kind of notoriety. Right. Who kind of pop. And you kind of go like, oh, okay. This guy was like maybe not expected to be a superstar guy right away, but gosh, maybe he will be. Like I think of Javon Holland a couple of years ago as somebody who like he was one of the better recruits in that cycle, but Steve Stevens was the higher rated guy. And going into this going into the season, it was kind of like Steve Stevens is probably going to be the better player, but it was really obvious from I don't, I don't exactly remember when it started kind of circulating, but like this guy's a dude. Yeah. I remember the same kind of thing with, with Jamal Hill um, when he came on campus. So um, it's going to be interesting. I, I, I'm with you, Matt, in terms of like, yeah, I think there's probably going to be two to three, maybe even more guys just because of how many youngsters are on campus Sure, that really pop. And you go, man, it sounds like, it sounds like from everything we've heard, these guys are going to be dudes right away. Um, and I, Thompson's probably the one that is going to get the most publicity just because of the position and because of the pedigree. But like, I think there's going to be some guys, especially on defense that, that we hear a lot about early on. All right. There's 30 minutes on the first question. Let's move on to the, let's move on to the second one uh, from at duck scribe. Will, will the spring game invite spectators this year? Um, I, we don't have full clarity on this yet, but like, I think there is good of, news. I was going to say, I think it's heading in this direction, Matt, because we're, we're now seeing that the, the, the University of Oregon's baseball program is selling tickets to fans. Um, I would expect that that would indicate we will get 
some spectators at the spring game. This is now this is not like reporting as much as this is just kind of like some logic here of if they're allowing fans to go to baseball games, I would imagine they'd love to get fans at the spring game. Yeah. Um, to could you know just to build that relationship further. I don't expect obviously it's going to be a packed stadium. In fact, I don't I know it's too far down the line, but like I don't know how, how many fans are going to be allowed for for games this fall, but I, I would expect that it's it's kind of feels like it's leaning towards there's going to at least be I don't know a thousand a couple thousand fans that are allowed to go to this game and that's really really exciting and and like who knows we'll see I mean the the way things are progressing right now um, with COVID in Lane County are really I think really positive the numbers that I've seen at least um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's maybe more than I'm saying maybe it maybe it gets to a place where they are able to allow five to ten thousand fans in and i'm sure given the fact that nobody got to watch this team in person last year there are going to be without question that many people they could charge to get, get there. tickets i was just going to say this is the year where i know they're going to continue doing their donations i would imagine um you know the can drive but like I would think you could probably charge like 20, 40 bucks and people would pay that and be excited to do so just to come watch a scrimmage. Right now I'm it's, it's hard to kind of find um, tickets, but they, they've actually, so I'm, I'm on the Twitter account right now, Oregon duck ticks. That is the school's official uh, Twitter account for tickets. And um they tweeted out limited Oregon baseball tickets for our games, including Beaver baseball are on sale now. Uh, and then I'm going to credit Nick Batty, a duck fan uh, who is a, actually a Lundquist school of business student right now at the U of O asking, will there be limited softball tickets as well? And they responded Tuesday morning with work Oregon duck ticks responded, working through our pre-sale now for UCLA series if tickets remain afterward, we will send out information. Thanks. So it sounds like yeah. if if you're if you are a season ticket holder of the softball program, um, you have the option to get some tickets. And if some tickets don't get claimed, the general public will now have the option to buy some softball tickets as well. So it, it's looking like it's not just uh, it's not just baseball that is offering tickets. And I checked right now. Um, this is going to be a day late, but we're recording this on Tuesday and it's been up for about an hour. Um, I'm clicking on the first available game that you could buy tickets to for, for Oregon. It's a, it is a game against New Mexico state and it's looking like, in real time, there are very limited seats left available. It's it's looking like Duck fans have gobbled up, yeah, some tickets already um, that that were made available. So, if I mean, if you're interested in buying tickets, I highly suggest that you quickly go and look because it, they might be they might be gone by the time uh, this podcast comes out. Actually, which is pretty cool. R- really cool, and I'm sure even those who aren't like diehard Oregon baseball fans are going like, give me the opportunity to be one of the first people in over yeah. the year to, to go watch Oregon sports in person. I mean, exactly. it's, it's been a crazy, crazy year. And the fact that, I mean, the fact that I, as I think about it, like the last game 
I attended that had fans in it was uh, the Oregon women's basketball senior night against Washington last March. Um, that's that's pretty wild to think about that it's been that long. It's been over a calendar year since I've watched it. And I've been, I've, Matt and I have both been at football games and women's basketball games in my, my case, men's basketball on his part um, this year. So we've, we've, we've been at games, but to be in a stadium with some fans in it, ah, I'm looking forward to it. And again, like I'm, I'm hoping, you know, obviously you put the health and safety protocols first in terms of what the number is, but I'm hoping like the question asks you about the spring game, just to turn it back to that, like that it is, as packed as possible, uh, it is an atmosphere. There should be a fa- there should be a thousand fans at least in this game. Like, if, yeah, as if long we're as, being yeah. realistic, like if you can fit a couple hundred uh, fans or 150 fans into a baseball stadium at PK Park or the Jane, Autzen holds sixty thousand. You, you you can put five ten thousand fans in there and and be spatially spaced out. Yeah. So, and, and like, this is, it's, I don't know, it's going to be really, I think it's, I'm looking forward to hopefully being there. Well, I'm, I'm expect to be there, but being there and having some kind of atmosphere because that is, it's, it's such a, it's, it's just so weird. And Matt and I have, again, both been at football games and basketball games. I think fo- basketball games might've been weirder just because you could, because of the proximity, I literally could hear like Kelly Graves, like what plays he was running right. from the sidelines. I heard, I won't say the word he said, but after they lost to Stanford, um, on a really like a two point game at home, he said a not nice word, but, and I heard it from like about 60 feet away and n- during normal circumstances, I would not have heard that not nice word. So like, like it has been so strange to have that, that I just can't wait to be at Autzen for a Saturday this fall. And hopefully it's close to full capacity and be in Matthew Knight arena for what women's you, basketball. What do you think the same. secondary market's going to be like? like okay. Oh like, God. Yeah. Oregon's going to put, <laughs> if Oregon is smart and they, they come forward and, and honestly, they, they probably could use the money charge for spring game tickets. I know yeah. in normal instances, it's, Hey, donate some food for food for Lane County. Still do the food, the food drive, you know, Hey, you're coming to the game. We appreciate you purchasing tickets, but please also remember to bring your canned food and non-perishable food for the food drive. People are going to need that. Continue to do that. But Oregon should probably charge tickets this year to help you know, the budget of the athletic department when they've not had fans all year. But the secondary market of those tickets, like if they go for a 10 bucks a ticket, you know, retail, people are going to pay like $200 to get a duck ticket. Like, yeah. For a spring game, I mean, how high do you think it goes? Three hundred? <laughs> yeah, I mean, pro- probably for some folks. Yeah, for some folks. I, I I could see I could see like the ultra rich guy whose oh, life yeah. is around football and duck athletics and wanting to be at the moment. I could see five hundred. I could see six hundred dollars for a spring game secondary market ticket. If money's not an option. I can see more than that. I just don't know. I mean, like, I don't know what the competition is for that realistically in Eugene. And I guess in the Portland area in terms of like who, who how many other people want to spend that much money. You want to like, be the first person at a duck football game. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That is going to drive up ticket prices so high. You could probably, you could probably create some kind of an experience for a thousand dollars for the spring game and get someone to buy it. I think so. And, and this is also one of those things where let's say they allow 5,000 people in it. 20,000 are going to say they were there. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, Eric, everyone's at the, at the pick. Like there's 2000, <laughs> there's 300,000 people at that game. 
<laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible. They filled it five times over. No, it's, it's never, never be done again. Um, yeah, no, I, I, but like, so back to the original question, like I, I, we're not reporting it, but like, I think there's reason to be optimistic that we're going to, that there'll be some spectators, some fans at the game. And, um, and at the very least we're going to be there uh, reporting on everything that takes place. And, and like, and just another thought before we, we transition over here to some recruiting talk. Um, I, I'm hoping that they have a, a scrimmage before the spring game, which they traditionally do have. And in the past has been in Portland. I don't know if they'll do that, but like, but finding another opportunity to, to get fans out again in a, in a safe environment to watch the team a couple times this spring. I know that's not typically what you do, but this has been such a weird year and last year there wasn't a spring game. And so I'm not suggesting there's going to be two spring games, but and I'm not reporting it, but I, I kind of wonder if that'll be something they look into doing just because in the past they have held a scrimmage, in the spring, typically, again, typically it's been up in Portland, like the Hillsborough area. All right. Third one from at Giscoville. Giscoville? <laughs> 519. I had a hard time with that one. I didn't know how to pronounce that. J.I. Scoville, 519. Um, it's possible, by the way, this is such a weird tangent. Scoville and Scopel, it's possible that our uh, we, we could have some lineage connection there, if, if that's your last name, um, given the fact that Scopel and Scoville are one letter apart. You know, who knows? Um, on a previous podcast, it was suggested that if slash when Trajan Williams commits, it could trigger a wave of new commitments. Not that now that he has committed, do you feel this is true? Um, now I don't remember us talking about this. And it's I do. I this, do because Kevin, or is this me and you? Um, I think it was me and Kevin, okay. and it was built around the idea that there's limited spots at certain positions and. Landon Holby, I don't believe, had committed yet to Oregon. And it was kind of one of those deals where, um, hey, if, if, if they take one commit, it's probably going to snowball into a second verbal commitment at the safety spot, which ended up happening to be the inverse. We were expecting Trajan to be the first guy and then another safety prospect coming in and saying, oh, wow, they don't have room. Uh, for more than one more guy, I want, I've really wanted to go and I'm, you know, probably going there. I'm just going to pull the trigger now to make sure I keep a spot. Um, that was what we were kind of talking about. And then it maybe kind of snowballs into another position. You know, the overspill goes maybe to cornerback because it's, Hey, like we know we really like you at safety, but we also think you could play corner. Let's bring you in that kind of snowballs into another corner, maybe committing. And then, Right. You know, and you've got that receiver guy that's being recruited for both offense and defense. And that's kind of how we were thinking. Um, but I, nonetheless, like Oregon's sitting here with some verbal commitments. And I look at this and think, yeah, even though they're now locked up at safety, um, I, I'd really like to see a couple more commitments come in. And we might, you know, we might see a couple uh, over the next couple of days into the next couple of weeks. Um, at, and I think at probably their receiver position. Yeah, it's good. I, I don't know. Like how realistic do you think it is, Matt, that this, I mean, and the other part here is, and, and again, I don't know if there, there's no clarity in terms of like, can players be on campus? But I do, I do wonder if the, with spring practices starting here, if an Oregon always seems to, I, I, again, I think it's different because of the, the restrictions, but I just wonder, typically this is about the time where Oregon makes a push from the recruiting perspective in April to May yep. the last couple cycles has been kind of, those have been hot months for Oregon. And obviously that's typically um, been around the spring game, which is, has been one of probably your two or three biggest events of the year, along with 
you know, the summer Saturday night live event. And then obviously you typically have a weekend or two during the season where you, you host a lot of guys, but I wonder if, if this upcoming month here, if they, if there are going to be ways to get players on campus or if that's just not at all possible. And if it is possible, maybe that also leads to sort of a push here from a recruiting perspective um, in terms of getting some verbal commits. I think the, I mean, the class has seven commitments right now. That's not like exactly like behind, but it would be probably a little behind the pace typically set um, by the staff on the recruiting trail, because it seems like traditionally you're at a close to like half capacity by the time spring um, is getting started. So, um, and of course spring usually starts a little earlier. All right. Next one from at MVH genetics. What is the most critical position of need on either offense or defense for this recruiting, sorry, for this recruiting cycle to focus on? He says he thinks defensive end. Um, I think that's a good place to start. I think the defensive line in particular, Oregon did not really address that very much in 2021. Keanu Williams being the lone signee, obviously room to add another one. We talked about JTT. Um, but assuming that doesn't take place, and even if it does, like I think defensive line is an area you you do want to add some players at. Um, and I think defensive end is a notable one just because of what you're losing. You know, Kayvon Thibodeau will be this is his last year, like straight up. Like I don't yeah. see any scenario where he returns. Um, you know, uh, I, I just don't. So like he's gone. And you can argue defensive end, outs linebacker, whatever he is, like you need to find some replacements for him. Um, there aren't any seniors on the defensive line right now. So you could argue like, well, they don't lose that much. But I, I think when you only sign one guy in 2021, you need to at least take four to five, maybe even upwards of six, if you can find it in 2022. And we should know that they've, you know, they've got the ball rolling a little bit already with Grayson Halton, a top 250 defensive end recruit from San Diego. Um, who knows where like someone like a Marianne Winston, maybe he grows and he can play, you know, a defensive end spot or whatnot. He's listed as an outside linebacker, but six, three, two forty certainly has some size to be versatile. But I, I think that's where I start. Um, like offensively, I guess. I don't know. They, they, they took a ton of receivers last cycle, really good yeah. ones. They took two really good tight ends last cycle. They took a really good quarterback. They took two really good running backs maybe the offensive line, but they took four really good ones there. So like, I, I don't know if I look at the offense and think there's like a glaring spot that they need to hit. I mean, I think defensively, again, you look at the defensive line and, and probably just shoring up some stuff at corner at this point, just because I know they took three last year, but just because this is also probably Mikhail Wright's last season. And you don't have, I don't think a full clarity of like who the next guys in line are. And if you can go find another really good, another top 100, top 150 kid, you put yourself in a good spot. And I, I would have said safety before just because you are losing Jordan Happel. I could see Verona McKinley maybe leaving after 22. Um, but they've already landed two guys and most recently Trey John Williams. Are there other spots, Matt, or do you agree kind of with where I'm at from, from a position? I feel like offensively it's really just uh, best player available if you will, offensively, like I, I kind of think you, you go and, and you look at this position by position on the offensive line and it's okay. Try and find the best tight end you can possibly find, even though you've got two freshmen in the program, a red shirt freshman and a sophomore and a junior. Um, plus Cam McCormick will have an extra year if he wants, 
just find one and best player available there. Uh, along the offensive line, it's it's probably not a case where you sign five guys, but you do have George Moore, TJ Bass, Alex Forsyth, Ryan Walk, Malasala Omave Lalu, and Stephen Jones, six, uh, draft eligible. Now, I'm not saying all of those guys are going to be in the NFL and all of them are going to go pro after this coming season, but that does that is a possibility that some guys either come forward and say, I'm going pro. Some guys come forward and say like, like, Hey, I'm just done playing football. Like I, like Ryan walk will be a fifth year senior. Uh, excuse me. He will be a fifth year junior this season. Does he want to keep playing football? I, I mean, I think he does, but stranger things have happened. Um, so I, I think you probably look at the O line and just say in a normal year, we would probably take four guys at, at, along the offensive line. So maybe you cut that to two or three um, offensively at the, the backfield and the receiver positions, you know, you probably take two receivers, maybe three, probably take a running back. You, you have a quarterback already. Um, I, I really think this is the year where Oregon looks at this and says, Hey, let's just try and get BPA best player available at every position. And we just, you know, let, let's do that first. There's, I don't know what, 15 positions, there's 11 or 12 positions um, between the offense and defensive side of the football. Obviously like, yes, there's five offensive linemen, but you know, maybe you expand it out, you know, a, a tackle and an interior guy and, a, sure. and an interior defensive lineman and an exterior, you know, an outside defensive lineman. Uh, maybe you find an inside linebacker and an outside linebacker, like, and maybe that expands it out to about 15 and you just look at it and say, let's just find the best player available at those 15 spots. And then we'll reset the board and see how many spots we have left and, and look at it and go, okay, we've gotten everything else. Now the season has started. We're not really confident at cornerback. Let's try and find another corner. I think that's probably what the strategy is going to be for Oregon this year in 2022. Just go out and find the best player you can get at each spot and then reassess. I think that makes a lot of sense, especially with, again, the roster, the way it's comprised. They've had so much success the last couple of years and and also with with just kind of the logjam of players on the roster. I mean, if you're realistic about it, like <laughs> they didn't exactly lose much from last year's team and they've got a lot of young guys still around. And like there's not a position on the entire team where you look at it and go like, God, they're really short and they need to add like, six seven eight guys right you know? i mean like there's not a there's not a there's not like a real i mean there, there are places where they have a, i think they have a lot of linebackers like there's an excess there maybe they don't take too many but like there is not a spot where i look at it and go like gosh they only have two players at this position they're in trouble like they they've done a really good job covering their bases and and, and filling out each of these spots so i agree i think i think best case scenario or sorry best player available kind of scenario for, for probably almost across the board i again i do think I'd like to see cornerback and defensive line probably be focal points, but we'll see. I mean, I think it's not, it's not like those are spots where if they have some shortcomings, they couldn't get by in the short term. I would worry more on the long term, especially at defensive line, if they only take one or two guys because you don't want to have like two to three combined players in two consecutive cycles on the defensive line. That sets you up to be doing some real heavy lifting in like 2023 and 24 um, to fill out those position groups. All right, last one from at Oregon Duck fan 05. How many transfers do you think Dana Altman will want to bring in for next year? 
you would think players are watching Oregon because of, Dan- of what Dana does every year with, trans- with a transfer or two or three. Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, Matt, you've done a little bit of reporting on the site, on the transfer market. I know you've already addressed a lot. I, I think even on our wrap-up podcast earlier this week, you've addressed kind of some of who the names are. Does, I mean, you, what do you think? Like, is, is, is one a fair number? Do you think they could take two? And I guess just in general, what's the scholarship math? Definitively, they will, they will take at least one. Okay. At least one. I mean, the portal has over a thousand guys right now. And it's, there's like some semi jokes, semi serious comments from people that are tracking it that by May, there may be 2000 guys in the portal. Like, it's it's literally insane and every single night you know 20 guys enter the portal and every you know every one of those guys it's like oh wow he was a dude he was a dude he was a dude he was a dude and you really you, know, you keep going and you keep going and looking at all these guys of who are entering the portal and you're like holy crud like even good teams are losing really good players like start like NCAA tournaments teams are seeing starters enter the portal and leave. So, I mean, for one, like there is so much talent there that I think if you're Oregon right now and you have an available scholarship and someone's there in the portal, you know, you, you try and go get them um, because it's just, there's so much talent. Like it'll eventually, I think, find its sweet spot in, in a couple of years. Um, but there's, you know, there's going to be at least one. I think if Oregon maybe sees a couple of their own guys leave, which right. is is probably going to happen. Like that, it's only only one year in Altman's time has one, you know, has 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 the program gone without any transfers one time in eleven years. So you know, the odds are it, it's going to happen. There's going to be one. There might be two. There potentially could be three. You know, I I don't know who those guys are. You know, like I'm not hearing anything right now. You know, this guy is going to leave type deal. I'm just being true. Like probably going to be one. It could grow to two. And in worst case scenario, it's probably three, maybe four guys. I don't think that happens, but, you know, you, you never know. But I do expect someone to leave the program. It's just the odds are in my favor of that. Um, yeah. And if, so if someone else leaves, then I think it's, okay, you've got two spots already. Now you have three they'll probably go and get to maybe three guys. Um, I, I think in a real world, perfect scenario, Dana finds probably a grad transfer. He probably goes and finds another grad transfer and then he can go out and land someone that's going to be willing to a either. Hey, I've got four more years of college basketball experience uh, eligibility left. I understand 2021, 2022, the upcoming season, I might not play a lot. I might, I might get in 15 games, but in the next three years after that, I'll, I'll be a regular contributor, potential starter. Um, or they find someone that comes in and says, yeah, I'm okay to red shirt. Like that doesn't bother me. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay to red shirt. Um, I think that's kind of what they want. Like first find a guy that can help you right away. Secondly, Maybe try and find a guy that can give you a couple years of eligibility. And third, see if you can find a, a Eugene Amarui or an Eric Williams that will redshirt for a year and have one or have two or three years left within the program. I think that's kind of what they want to do 
with the transfer portal. They're going to be active. I mean, you look at the list of guys that are out there. I mean, I, I, I'm keeping track every time I, I see transfers. I look at the names and, I mean, there's been four or five guys in the last 48 hours that Oregon offered scholarships to out of high school that have entered the portal. You know, Syracuse guard uh, Kadari Richmond from Syracuse, Fresh, uh, freshman was like one and a half steals, almost two steals a game, uh, average seven points. Oregon offered him a scholarship and, and tried to get it really into the picture there. Um, you also, you look at a couple other names, that David Jenkins from UNLV, Oregon was probably second and he ended up choosing UNLV because that's where his coach um, at his previous stop moved to. And so he followed his coach to UNLV, but Oregon was second kid from Tacoma. Uh, He's in the portal now. Does he want to go back home, you know, closer to home in the Pacific Northwest was second in the league and three point percentage in the mountain West is conference, you know, this past season. Um, That that's a guy, Kobe McEwen from Marquette. Oregon was second for him three years ago when he was leaving Utah state, when his uh, head coach got fired, he didn't want to play for the new guy. So he ended up looking around Canadian six foot four. He averaged like 15 his first two years at Utah state. And then went to Marquette was a two year starter there. Um, you know, and average, I think 11 points per game. Oregon makes you know a lot of sense there. Like there are so many guys that a, Oregon had previous had no previous experience recruiting um, that are you know just grad transfers and the you know the, that are in the system. Then there are the transfer misses, guys that they tried to get a year ago, two years ago, that are now in the portal again because of an extra year of eligibility. And you know, does Oregon want to go a second time with those guys? And then there are the guys that they recruited at a high school that they didn't get that they were a finalist for and are now looking at, you know, those guys are looking at other schools like rocket Watts from uh, Michigan state. Like I don't necessarily think Oregon would be the favorite to get rocket Watts, but they offered him a scholarship. He was at one point pretty interested in the ducks. He's from Michigan. He knows Oregon guard Jalen Terry. He played point guard at Michigan state that this, this year after playing, shooting guard as a freshman two years ago. uh, And he wants to go somewhere where he can play more shooting guard than point guard. Oregon needs a shooting guard. Like this is a top, I think top 50, top 60 recruit. Tom Izzo's teams always play good defense. I mean, it makes, it makes kind of a lot of sense for Oregon to show interest here. We'll see what happens. I mean, I don't know if they're going to be the favorite, but I expect them to at least come back and be like, Hey, we recruited you last time out of high school. We're interested still. You want to play shooting guard. We need a shooting guard. So, you know, long answer, uh, short answer is they're going to be very active. They're probably going to sign one to three guys from the portal. Um, I, I don't think there are a lot of high school guys right now that make a lot of sense. I don't, maybe some Juco guys, maybe someone emerges there and, and, and they go and find a Juco guy. Uh, that would also make a lot of sense, you know, adding an older player, uh, with a short you know period of time in Eugene, and it's worked for for Oregon like yeah. countless times. I can't really. I mean, there obviously have been instances where they haven't worked out. I mean, you think even this year, Mario Hardy probably a little disappointing overall. But like for the most part, the additions that they've made in the grad transfer market, Oregon's been really savvy and added some really high quality players that have helped them win a lot of games. I mean, you look at Oregon's track record, and, and there's been I think especially I mean they've always taken transfers, but there was a moment there where they 
they, they, you know, they had the opportunity to take a lot of the one and done five-star pedigree kids. And, and they did that. And it didn't necessarily pan out on the court the way I think you would have anticipated or hoped. And, and they've, I think transitioned, not that they don't recruit those guys to bringing in Nate Biddle this year, who's one of those guys, obviously in Folly Dante was, and Frank Kepnong are two guys kind of in that sort of range as borderline five-star kids. But the program has, I think, really thrived in part, and especially this last year's teams because of, I mean, this last year's team, think about their starting five. I mean, most of those guys were either Juco or, or grad transfer or just, you know, regular transfer players. And um, that's not to suggest that they can't win with players they recruit because Will Richardson's one of those guys and he's been great. And obviously you look at Peyton Pritchard and, some of the other kids you brought into high school, but the success that they've had undoubtedly has been really impressive from the transfer market. And I think probably would be interesting to, to look at and compare Oregon's success with transfers to other power five schools. Cause I'm yep. guessing it's probably one of the better destinations yes. just in terms of or, Oregon has turned into a school where when you hit the portal, Oregon is one of the schools you're trying to get in touch with. I mean, their track record when they get in, and, and they start recruiting guys. It's, it speaks for themselves of, you know, how many guys they've elevated from, you know, low major to guy that can play overseas now or an overseas guy that's now playing in the G league or a guy um, who maybe was a G league prospect to now getting an NBA invite. Um, you know, they are producing guys at a high level. They're having a ton of success. And just to give you an idea, like, a couple of their top targets have committed to other schools pretty quickly. And it's like, Oh, guys are falling off the board. Like, yeah, that's happening, but they're being replaced by two or three other guys that have similar numbers. Like just to give you an idea. Okay. A guy averaging 18 points, eight rebounds, two assists shoots 48% from the field, 50 per, or excuse me. Yeah. 50% on three pointers entered the portal this year. Like, I think one day ago, Jaden Gardner, 6'7", 235. Is Oregon a serious player here? I have no idea. But that type of, of number, you know, upperclassman, he's a junior, so he's got two years left, 18 points, eight rebounds, shoots 50% on three-pointers, entered the portal. There are pretty good hundreds of good players. So, if yeah, if, if their top targets miss – I mean, there are so many guys out there. They could miss out on like five straight rounds of their top targets and still find a really good player. It's it's changed the whole game. It's basically free agency and the ability to get these guys in and have them play immediately has really changed things uh, collegiately. And I, and I think it almost feels like at this point, if you're not hitting the transfer portal and especially the grad transfers, right? you're kind of putting, you're at a disadvantage. And I know, I mean, you, and I think it's, Kind of telling, and I'm not, I'm not I, there's probably somebody out there who's done this correlation, but like, I wonder when you think about the, some of the blue bloods and their lack of success in the tournament and, it, and it, it's not totally accurate, but like over the last half a, half a dozen years, you know, the Kansases and Kentuckys and Dukes and North Carolinas, I know some of those teams have competed and won, won national championships. I'm not saying that, that they're bad or anything, but like those programs aren't quite as dominant as they once were. And, and I think part of that is primarily those schools bring in their elite recruiting classes. And these are, you basically have, this is what Dane Altman has had to do, but like with veteran players, I think you'd rather rebuild with a bunch of 21 to 22 year old guys who've had college experience than a bunch right. of 18 and 19 year old kids that come in thinking, Hey, I'm going to be here a year and then I'm going to take off because the NBA 
uh, draft is, is my aspiration. And that doesn't take anything away from those guys having those goals. But I think there's something to be said for having a 21, 22 year old kid who wants to come in and play for a championship and has experience and is, is open to kind of taking some of that coaching. Um, if you're going to try to build on the fly, as opposed to, because that's the reality is that these rosters, the turnover is incredible year in and year out. And I think, it's pretty smart to take the older guy over the younger guy, even if the younger guy is, is going to be a better player at the next level, which for the most part he will be, but Oregon's found a lot of really good ones that are juniors and seniors the last gosh decade or so with Dane Altman. All right. That's going to do it for us here on the Autzen audibles podcast. Thank you for submitting your questions. Thank you for listening to the show. Remember to follow us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever you use to listen to podcasts, please remember to follow us there. Click that follow button. Also, uh, give us a review if you could. That helps us out as well. So uh, until we talk to you later this week, potentially breaking down more spring football or the first practice of spring football, you've been listening to the Autzen Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks.